0: All I want is to get from where I am, to where I want to be. It's never easy. It seems like there's always an obstacle, or a detour, or a dead end. God, just show me where to go. That's what I want. Welcome to Eaglewood Church. It's really good to have you with us today. If you're watching online or you're at one of our campuses, what a sad week. I mean, every morning you just wake up and it's a new tragedy. And for many of us here, it's more than just something you read about in the news. There was a very personal emotion for you in all of this. We've heard from people this week who say, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the world that my kids are growing up in. Heard from one person who says, You know, I'm afraid now when my teenage son asks for the car keys on a Friday night. And the reason that I'm afraid is because of the color of his skin. It's a very real emotion for some people. I've also heard from police officers. Got a great email from a police officer this week, very genuine, very heartfelt. And he said, I'm scared to, not scared to give CPR to a little kid who needs it, not scared to arrest a violent criminal but scared of the citizens and the government that I swore an oath to protect. His wife is nervous when he says, I'm heading to work. And that's a very real emotion for other people as well. And so the question is, as followers of Jesus Christ, what should we do? How should we model to the world what it means to follow Christ? And I have three suggestions on this, and the first one is to pray. And I know some of you think of well, prayer, of course, you're going to say that in church, but has it ever been more obvious that we need a power outside of ourselves? Has it ever been more obvious that human beings, when left to their own decisions and devices, will mess this thing up, and that we need God in our country more than we ever have before? I want to invite you to pray, and specifically maybe even to pray for the people that you wouldn't normally think of praying for. Pray for this victim's family in falcon heights his girlfriend and this little kid who's in the car pray for this police officer who's going to be under massive amount of scrutiny pray for the people who have been the victims of racism and we may have never even known it not just this week but over the years and then pray for police officers who have a very hard job one that many of us would not want I want to encourage us to be a church that prays for people, even people that we might disagree with at times. Second, to be a peacemaker. You know, it's easy to see the problem. It's easy to post an online rant or express your opinion. But what's much more difficult to do is what Jesus calls us to do, and that's to be a peacemaker. And so I want to ask you this week, how can you be a person who brings peace and reconciliation? Being a peacemaker... Is not passive, it's active. Sometimes that means justice and laws. Sometimes that means mercy and grace. But how can you be a peacemaker with the influence that God has given you in the coming weeks? How can you be a part of that solution? And then finally, I want to encourage our church to unify around the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that in Christ there is no male or female, Jew or Gentile, and let me add to that, there is no black or white police officer or citizen. That under the name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that one day all of the nations will gather and worship him as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Jesus, before he ascends back to heaven, he prays for his followers, his disciples. And what he prays for is that we would have unity, not political unity. Not necessarily unity on our opinions about things, but that we would be unified under the name of Jesus Christ and a belief that Jesus Christ is the only one who will truly offer peace and hope to this world and to our lives. And so can we unify under his name? My wife texted me a verse yesterday. It was Proverbs 18.5. And I want to leave you with this. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to it and they are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress to protect you. And when you run to it, no matter how many fears you might have or how much confusion and anger you might have, when the godly run to his name, they will be safe. With that, we are gonna move on now into a series that we've been in for the last several weeks. It's called, That's What I Want. And we are in the third week of this series. And I actually got that title from a conversation that our small group had. My wife and I are in a small group with four other couples from Eaglebrook, And one night we were talking about the topic of debt. And one person was describing what it's like to be debt free. And they said, there's freedom There's no interest payments. There's no stressing about money. There's less fighting about money. And then they started to describe what you can do with all the extra money that you have that you're not spending on interest. And finally, one of the guys in our group couldn't take it anymore. He just blurted out, that's what I want. And isn't that what many of us want? To live a debt-free kind of life. My oldest son, Micah, his baseball team this past spring planned a surprise team outing to the Twins game. They told the kids they were going to be going to uh, get team pictures taken, but really they were headed down to Target Field and they were going to have a team outing together. And part of the deal was parents had to put cash in an envelope that the kids would then get at the game and they could spend on dinner. So we were supposed to drop Micah off at 5 o'clock. At 4.30, I'm driving home from work, and I get a call from my wife, and she says, how much cash do you have? I said, well, I don't know. She said, check. So I go through my wallet, and I've got three bucks. She said, oh, no, I've only got 10. Now, normally $13 would be plenty of money to send your kid with for dinner, but have you eaten at a Twins game lately? (laughs) Last time I went to the Twins game, I got Red Cow's 60-40 burger, It's 60% beef and 40% bacon. When I heard 40% bacon, I was all in. I would have paid 50 bucks for that burger. So I considered the $14 that it cost me a complete bargain. But my point is, the twins game is very expensive. And so I said, I don't think $13 is going to cover his dinner. Sarah said, well, what are we going to do? I said, there's only one thing we can do. Take money from our kids. So... I got home, and I burst into my son Hudson's room searching for all of his cash. We've never done this before, so my six-year-old daughter was screaming. (laughs) My four-year-old son, Jasper, had a complete meltdown. Jasper's jar of money was sitting in our kitchen, and I rifled through it, and I took out $4 bills. Right away, Jasper starts screaming, Don't take my paper money! (laughs) I said, I left your coins. But he's smart. He knows it's all about the George Washingtons. And so he kept saying, don't take my paper money. It was so bad that about an hour later, we were at my other son's baseball game. And Jasper was still upset. I didn't want to get out of the car. Because Jasper kept saying, daddy took my paper money. (laughs) So finally, I turned to him and I said, Jasper, how about I give you more money back than I took? he kind of wipes his tears and through his tears he goes how much (laughs) I said well I took four dollars from you how about I give you five dollars back and he kind of wipes the tears and he goes okay and we were good to go after that and so now I've got to pay a loan that interest on a loan that I took from my four-year-old And all of this goes to reinforce what the Bible said thousands of years ago. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Which means every time you sign up for debt, every time you sign off on a payment plan for a new house, car, TV, or appliance, every time you borrow money for a wedding, a trip, or to pay for your son's dinner at the Twins game, you give away a part of your freedom and you become a slave to the lender. How many of us have a brand new car or or toy or membership or appliance and we can't even enjoy it because the payment plans are killing us? Credit card companies will tell you, you can have it all in 40 easy payments. That's not true. I have never met a payment plan that was easy. Payment plans enslave you to people who don't know your name and they don't care. The borrower is slave to the lender. But if the statistics are correct, about 6 out of 10 Americans have non-mortgage, non-school loan kind of debt. And by the way, for the purpose of this message, when I use the word debt, that's what I'm referring to. Not talking about a mortgage, not talking about a school loan to get you through med school, or even a loan to start a business. That's debt that's considered appreciable in value. I'm talking about depreciable debt, like car loans and credit card payments and that kind of thing. About 60% of Americans have debt like that. Not only that, but about 60% of Americans also say that they are living paycheck to paycheck, which means there's no cushion. If there's any kind of emergency, illness, setback, or layoff, they're in trouble. Broken down cars and appliances are a big deal when you are living paycheck to paycheck. In fact, one study found that the average American spends 136% of what they earn. In other words, for every dollar that they bring in, they are spending a dollar 36. Friends, that is a recipe for disaster. It absolutely will not work. Here's a couple of other interesting statistics for you. 2015 American Household Survey found that the average American has $5,700 in credit card debt. That's just credit card debt, no other kinds of debt. If you take out all the Americans who have no credit card debt whatsoever, that number goes up to an average of 16000 in credit card debt. What was interesting about this survey for me, or this study, was that millennials and boomers have the least amount of credit card debt of anyone. Now, some of that makes sense when you consider their life stage. But for all of us who rag on millennials, let's remember that the under 35 age demographic has less debt than anyone else. Maybe that's because they have seen firsthand the damage that debt can cause. And debt can cause damage. 52% of American marriages end in divorce. Number one cited reason, money. 2015 American Psychological Association survey found that money was the number one cause of stress in people's lives 64 percent said it was a significant cause of stress what was surprising to me was the age demographic or the demographic rather that has the most stress over money people who make over a million dollars a year they live with this fear of losing it all and having to adjust their lifestyle Again, all this reinforces what the Bible said thousands of years ago, that the borrower is slave to the lender. But if all this is true, then why do people continue to take on debt? I think there's at least three reasons why. One is that debt is normal. Many of us have grown up in a world where debt is expected. It's unavoidable. It's even a virtue for some. For instance, last year I was at Kohl's. And I was buying some clothes, and so I brought my stack of clothes up to the register, and the clerk looked at me, and she said, would you like to open a Kohl's card? I mean, how often do you hear that at a store these days? I said, absolutely not. I have one credit card. I don't do store credit cards. She said, you can save 30% if you register today. Now, I had a pretty good stack of clothes, and so that was going to be about 40 bucks, And so my plan was I'll fill out all the paperwork and then I'll cut the card up when I get it. Guess what? I got rejected. (laughs) Why did I get rejected? Because my wife and I paid off our mortgage last year. Do you know what happens to your FICO score when you stop borrowing money? It goes down. They literally don't trust you anymore. They're like, wait a minute, what's going on with that guy over there? Financial expert Dave Ramsey says we worship at the altar of FICO. It's like debt has become a virtue. Second reason why many of us take on debt is this debt is so easy and available. I get letters in the mail all the time that say, You, yes, you, Jason Strand, you are pre approved. And I'm thinking, I have been looking for approval my whole life. Thank you for pre approving me. Or or I'll get these letters that will say, You are among the select few the prestigious, the preferred. I'll bet you don't get those ones, do you? Because I'm in the select few. And it all comes with a $100,000 credit line. Debt is just so easy and attainable. Another reason why people take on debt is this, that debt was modeled to us. Every one of us was impacted by our parents or whoever raised us and how they handled money. And so you looked at your parents and how they saved or didn't save, how they borrowed or didn't borrow, and you did one of two things. You either emulated that behavior, or you were so put off by it that you went in the opposite direction. But all of us have patterns of handling money that have been shaped into us by our upbringing. My wife and I's story is that my wife grew up with a single mom living near the poverty line. By necessity, they were very frugal, and her mom never took on debt. My family was middle class to upper middle class, but my mom grew up in a farmhouse out in South Dakota, and for several years of her childhood, they didn't even have electricity. My dad was born in 1939, and so he experienced a little bit of the after effects of the Great Depression, living in a small town out in western Minnesota called Milan. And so for the most part, my parents were savers and not spenders. And as Sarah and I grew into adulthood, we began to emulate that behavior. And so when I was in college and I had a part-time job that paid me $18,000 a year, it was a great part-time job, I saved that money. One of my roommates spent a ton of money on a stereo system. I put it away and used it several years later on the down payment for our first house. When Sarah and I were first married, we cut out every non-essential that we could think of, cable, coffee, and we put all of our money towards Sarah's school loans. Then when we moved from our first house into our second house, my wife insisted that we get a 15-year mortgage. I wasn't sure about that, but she had researched the amount of money you save on interest. And I don't share any of this with you to boast, because everybody's circumstance is unique, and we had this modeled to us. But as somebody who cares about your well-being... I want you to hear today that a debt-free life is possible. If you feel like debt is swallowing you up, damaging your relationships, and a cause of stress and anxiety in your life, you need to know there is a better way. In fact, if you read through the book in the Bible called Proverbs, it's like getting a master's degree in finance. Now, the Bible was not written to lead us towards financial freedom. The Bible was written to lead us towards salvation in Christ. But I am telling you, if you are in your 20s and 30s, and you are here today, and you will apply these biblical principles to your life, you are going to be so far ahead of your peers in 30 years. I've calculated the amount of money we spend on interest. It's astounding. If you can say no today, you will be so far ahead tomorrow. If you're here today and you're in your 40s, 50s, or 60s, and you are up to your neck in debt, there is time. I have seen people and couples pay off six figures of debt in just a couple of years. But it's going to take a plan, and it's going to take some time. And so the question I want to raise today is this. How do you get out of debt? How can you get out of debt? Even if you don't have debt, there's going to be principles here that you can apply but the first way that you get out of debt is this. Don't buy stuff you can't afford. Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs 13:7. It says, some who are poor pretend to be rich. There are three groups of people in the world today. There are the haves, there are the have-nots, and they are the don't have what they haven't paid for. They're the pretenders. They're the pretenders tenders, half of the ATVs, boats, trailers, and rigs that you see breezing down the freeway these days are mortgaged to the hilt, and they're driving people to financial ruin. In fact, I was just talking to a couple recently, and they live in a beautiful house in a prestigious neighborhood. They drive luxury cars, they've got a cleaning service, they eat out at fancy restaurants every weekend, and in a moment of truth, they said to me, we are up to our eyeballs in debt. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to pretend? I mean, I think we all know why people pretend, but wouldn't you want to be the sort of person who's above that kind of thing? The kind of person who finds their identity in Jesus Christ and doesn't feel the need to pretend to be rich? Now, before we go any further, I want to make a critical clarification here. If you have the cash, if you're not in debt, and you're generous with the money that God has given to you, You're tithing, you're giving, you're generous with that money. You don't have to feel guilty for how you spend your money. I've heard Christians say things like this. Well, you can't be a Christian and drive a Mercedes. And I think, really? Does the Bible say that? Does the Bible say you have to put your faith in Christ and not drive a luxury car in order to be saved? No. It just says put your faith in Christ. What's even more ironic is that sometimes the person who says that has a loan on their car And if you add up the interest payments, it's going to end up costing them more than the guy who bought his luxury car using cash. Look at how this verse ends. It says, some who are poor pretend to be rich. Others who are rich pretend to be poor. In other words, all of us are going to pretend. You can either pretend to be rich or you can pretend to be poor. Which would you prefer? I, for one, would rather pretend to be poor you got to stop buying things you can't afford. Second way to get out of debt is this, attack your debt. Every year, Forbes magazine does an article on the 400 wealthiest people in America today. And several years ago, they asked this group of people, what's the most important key to being wealthy? 75% of them says you have to, said you have to get out of debt and stay out of debt. But how do you do that? Well, the first step is what we talked about in point one, you got to stop buying things you can't afford. When you're in a hole, the first thing you need to do is to stop digging. But the second step is to attack your debt. And to do that, I want to teach you something called the debt snowball. We've taught this before, but we haven't in several years. Let's just say, for example, that these represent your debts. So you owe Lowe's $450, $30 minimum payment. Target $600, $50 monthly payment. You took a loan from your parents, and then you've got a car payment as well. Here's what you're going to do. You are going to find $200 extra a month. You say, how in the world am I ever going to find $200 extra a month? I don't know. Somehow you're going to find it. You're going to take an extra job. You're going to start selling stuff. You're going to sell so much stuff your kids are going to think they're next. Okay? They're going to be looking around like, whoa, what's going on here? You're going to name your dog eBay. You're going to put your cat on Craigslist. I mean, if it is not bolted down, you're selling it. You're going to eliminate DirecTV, cut out expensive memberships, downsize your mobile data plan, start bringing a lunch to work instead of eating out every day. I don't know how you're going to find this $200 extra a month, but somehow you're going to find it. And then here's what you're going to do. You're going to take that $200, you're going to add it to the $30 that you were already paying Lowe's on a monthly basis, and you're going to take that $230 and you're going to apply it all to your debt at Lowe's. In just a couple of months, bye-bye Lowe's. Then you're going to take that $230 that you were just spending on Lowe's, and you're going to add it to the $50 that you were giving Target on a monthly basis. You're now going to take that $280 and apply it towards your debt at Target. In just a few months, Target debt is gone. Then you're going to take the $280 and apply it to your next debt, and the snowball starts getting bigger. Friends, I'm telling you, this works. We offer a class here at church every year called Financial Peace University. You can sign up for the next one when we offer it. Last year, we had 920 people take this course. Those 920 people represented $23 million in non-mortgage debt. Over the course of the nine-week class, this group paid off $1.1 million in debt, They saved up $680,000 for a cash reserve fund, and they closed down 630 credit cards. These are not people outside of our church. These are people just like you in our church. You can do this. But it's going to take what financial expert Dave Ramsey calls gazelle-like intensity. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs 6, verse 5 says, save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Allow me to go Discovery Channel on you for just a moment here. Because the primary predator of the gazelle is the cheetah. And I love cheetahs. They can go from zero to 49 miles per hour in four leaps. They can reach top speeds of 70 miles per hour. How do you escape a cheetah if you are a gazelle? Here's how you don't even get close to the cheetah, which means that if you're a college student and you're walking through the commons area at your campus and you hear some guy yell out, hey, if you sign up for this credit card, I'll give you this free T-shirt, you run, you hightail it, even though that T-shirt is clean and you don't have a clean T-shirt, do you, college student? You've been waiting four days to go to your parents' house and do your laundry, and that clean T-shirt looks awfully good to you. You run. It means that you sell your $50,000 car and you get an $8,000 car because debt is hunting you. Credit card companies are hunting you, and they are faster than a cheetah. You've got to have gazelle-like intensity as you attack your debt. Third way to get out of debt is this. Say no today so that you can say yes tomorrow. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, Stay away from the love of money, be satisfied with what you have. Let me ask you, how satisfied are you with what you have? How satisfied are you with your house, your car, or your clothes? See, many of us don't have an income issue, we have a spending issue. We're not satisfied with what we have. There's this little kid inside of us at the grocery store who sees the candy bar and goes, but I want it now. And the problem is that little kid doesn't go away. He just grows up. And now he doesn't want the candy bar anymore, but he wants the house, the car, or the jewelry. And so we're gonna practice something right now. We're gonna practice together saying a word that we don't like to say very much when it comes to our purchases. And the word is... No. Okay, I'm going to ask for audience participation on this at all of our campuses. We're going to practice saying this word out loud. And these are stereotypes, okay? I acknowledge this. Many of you are not going to fall into these stereotypes. Please don't be offended. You'll still kind of understand the point. Ladies, if you are in debt, do you need to get your nails done twice a month? The answer is no. Guys don't even care about nails I've never heard a guy go, hey, check out the nails on that lady. <laughs> just, they're pretty. I know you're excited about it, but I'm just telling you, it's, it's really not that big of a deal to us. So guys, and this next one applies to ladies as well, but do you need to play golf three times a month if you're trying to get out of debt? The answer is no. Parents, do you need to get your teenager a brand new iPhone 6? The answer is no. That's always the most enthusiastic one (laughs) over the whole weekend. I love it. If you are in debt, do you need to, on a daily basis, buy a $5 turtle mocha latte double espresso with extra whip? The answer is no. That was below the belt for some of you, wasn't it? You're like, "Uh, now you're getting in my business, buddy better move on (laughs) now again if you have the cash and you're not in debt I mean go ahead but when you're trying to get out of debt when you're trying to stop fighting and stressing about money when you're trying to achieve financial freedom we've got to learn to say no today so that we can say yes tomorrow this is what our grandparents did many of our grandparents and parents grew up in the great depression and those folks are penny pinchers I mean, I remember one time I went over to my wife's grandparents' house, and her grandma was using Target bags for their trash instead of trash bags. And I laughed out loud. I said, what is she doing using Target bags? They're like two. And what's really funny is that she has way more cash than I do, way more money than I do, and I use trash bags. But that's because I'm a child of the 80s. And if you're a child of the 80s, you just look around and you think there's money everywhere. And you think you should be living in the same house and the same lifestyle that your parents lived in when you're in your late 20s or early 30s. I'm telling you it doesn't work like that. Many people who are wealthy today, they wore secondhand clothes for years. They were garage sale, hand-me-down kind of people. They would get used cars instead of new cars. They would use coupons Let me say that again, because some of you thought I said Groupon. (laughs) And I know you're pumped about the $50 you saved on the Brazilian butt wax Groupon. (laughs) It's an actual Groupon. I saw it last year, by the way. I didn't buy it, but I saw it. I'm talking about coupons. They save you money on things that you were already going to buy. They didn't get pop, they got water, they didn't get appetizers or desserts. It was really weird. And that's what this lifestyle is. It's a little bit weird. But guess what? Today, those people are out of debt. They're not strapped. They're not worried. And it's all because they learned to say no yesterday so they could say yes today. Now, I realize that in a church this size that there are probably many of us who have credit card debt And car payments and all that kind of thing. And I just want you to know, I make as many dumb purchases as any of you do. And I have a love of things just like you have. I want a nicer house, a nicer car, all the same things. And so if you're listening to this message and you feel a sense of embarrassment or defeat, please don't. Instead of feeling embarrassed or defeated, attack your debt. Make a commitment that you're not going to buy things that you can't afford And then attack your debt. Do the debt snowball. And by God's grace, set a date that you want to be out of debt by. I also realize that there are many others of you who you've been doing everything right. You're working a couple jobs. You're waking up at 5 in the morning. You're getting home at 6. You're cutting out all these non-essentials from your life. And still you find yourself in debt. And you have a lot of anxiety and stress over money. And I want you to invite God into your finances this week. I want you to wake up every morning and start by thanking God. It's not the dream house, but it protects you. It's not the car you've always wanted, but it gets you to where you need to go. Thank God for providing for the essentials of life that we need. And then I want you to begin to pray and make this a daily issue with God, to pray and ask God to show his power and his provision through your financial situation. I also realize that there are many of you, and hopefully soon more of you, who you don't have any non-mortgage debt. And I'm telling you, this is when it gets really good. I've always said that there are no U-Haul trucks behind a hearse. You don't take anything with you when you die. So why not use large portions of it to build up God's kingdom, to reach people for Christ, and to be generous towards those who are in need? It's all of God's money anyway. And he asks us to give 10% or more of it back to our local church and God's work in the world today. And I just have to tell you that because of those of you who do that for this, your local church, this past year we saw over 2,000 people put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's 2,000 people who are headed to heaven because they heard about Christ in this church. This spring we are opening up a campus in Anoka. If all goes as planned, we will pay for it in cash. Think about the number of families in Ramsey and Anoka and Coon Rapids who are going to be impacted by that campus. We have helped found a theological college in Ethiopia. We've seen a network of churches there. 30,000 people begin to attend. And last year, over 2,000 of them put their faith in Christ for the very first time. We are the largest World Vision donor in the United States in Mozambique. We sponsor over 2,800 kids in that country. We have helped over 22,000 orphans in the country of Nicaragua, providing for them clean water, food, clothes, education. We're not just concerned with our church and what happens in our walls. But we're concerned to help the least of these around the world. Not only that, but we try to help other churches in the Twin Cities and the five-state area. I don't know if you knew this or not, but every dollar that you give to Eaglebrook, a portion of that goes to what we call the Eaglebrook Association. And we offer free training and resources to other churches in the Twin Cities and all throughout the five-state area. We don't want our church just to get big and grow. We want all churches to reach people for Jesus Christ. And all that happens because of your generosity. Friends, this is fun. My wife and I have challenge ourselves to increase our giving every single year, and we have seen God move in amazing ways because we believe that God blesses us financially not to raise our standard of living as much as he blesses us financially to raise our standard of giving. And this is what happens when instead of serving money, you allow your money to serve God. Hopefully, that's what all of us want. Let's stand together at all of our campuses as we close in prayer. Hey folks, every week we have a prayer team down front that loves to pray for you about anything going on in your life. But if you are struggling financially and you really want someone to pray for you about that, there's a power in prayer. I want to invite you down after the service. And if you're a person who was really hit by the events of this past week, and maybe you have a personal connection to it or there's just a lot of emotion in it for you, I want to invite you down after the service to pray with our prayer team as well. We would love to minister to you in that way if we can. All right, let's pray together as we close. God, I pray for the people here who are really strapped right now. And instead of their money serving you, they, their money is a source of conflict. It's a source of stress and a source of anxiety in their life. It's, it's really ruining a lot of the joy that we're to have in Christ. God, I pray for that person that you would set them free from the financial bondage that they're in. I pray that you would give them the tenacity and the endurance to continue to attack that debt and not give up, God. And Lord, I pray for that person here who's just doing everything they can and they're still just scraping by. God, we thank you for the ways that you do provide for us. We ask that you would move in their life, that there would be a breakthrough for them in some way. And God, I pray for those of us who have been blessed with the ability to give. And not just use our money on ourselves, but use our money to see you move in this world. God, our world needs it more than ever. I pray that we would be wise with the money that you've given to us, God. That we would use it for something that matters and that's eternal. And God, I pray for people who were personally affected by the events of this past week who are angry, who are are hurting. God, again, I pray that we can unite under the banner of Jesus Christ. But I also pray, God, that you would comfort them and that you would give them hope and peace that only you can give. We pray all that in Jesus' name, amen. Again, if you want prayer, come on down. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.